This is Ryan S. Walters, and I never listen to none taken. I have a couple headlines I want to talk about. Oh, okay. Just by accident. Spy accident. Just by, just by accident. Oh, just by accident. Spy accident. I thought you said spy accident. I was like, oh, yeah, spy I don't know this headline. Okay. Okay. No. No, you don't really hear about spy accidents on the news. No. Unless, unless, <laughs> yeah. unless they're Russian. Yeah. Then sometimes. So. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, hey, I've had a uh, question. I So <laughs> I almost asked you this yesterday on the big show, but I mm-hmm. uh, I decided to postpone it because it's a question that kind of it deals with presidents. Uh, so a trivia question for you. Uh, and we're having an author on uh, about President Warren Harding, uh, sort of like reexamining the history of President Warren Harding. And I thought, well, you know, I'll, I've been holding on to this presidential question. I'll ask you now. So we've mentioned Dick Cheney. Now three weeks in a row, we've mentioned specifically that Dick Cheney <laughs> shot a guy. And the second time it was just weird. It was like, oh, I was continuing that thought from last week. Now I'm just like, I don't know, maybe I could do a fourth question next week. But so, <laughs> so we all know Dick Cheney while, while vice president shot a guy because mm-hmm. a covey of birds flew up and he, and he a covey. covey of birds. Yes. Yeah. Um, say a hunting accident. So that guy recently died. Uh, not again, not from that. So he, Dick Cheney didn't kill a guy. What can you name the only other vice president that we know of who has shot a guy that we know of? Mm. Yeah, there's, there's probably more, right? You're going to be so uh, I don't know. And I'm just going to, uh, how about Nixon? Let's say Nixon. <laughs> when he, <it's> probably, <laughs> no, it's obviously wrong. Yeah. It had to be like way back. Right. I'm trying to think. Yeah. It was way back. Do you remember this Got Milk commercial? It was the first big Got Milk commercial. So there's a guy. And that was the Vienna Wood Big peanut butter sandwich. Not, no jelly, just a big piece and of peanut butter. And now let's make that random call with today's $10,000 question. It's a tough one. Who shot Alexander Hamilton in that famous duel? He has both guns from the hey, duel. He has, all right, let's he go has to the, the bullet. And see he's got uh, all the artifacts on his wall. Oh, my God, his phone's ringing. Mm-hmm. Hello, for $10,000, who shot... Aaron Burr. Excuse me? <laughs> Aaron Burr. This sold so much fucking milk. Oh, poor guy. He lost. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you said Nixon, <laughs> so you don't get credit for saying Aaron Burr. Uh yeah, so Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton in that famous duel. I'm listening to a podcast that's refreshing the story for me of when uh, Aaron Burr um, tried to uh, start a breakaway republic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you remember that after his uh, vice presidency? So vice president uh, under Jefferson's first term and chosen not to return. It was, was asked not to return for the second term. Yeah. Your uh, services are no longer required, yeah. I believe. Uh, and yeah. unpopular for having shot Alexander Hamilton and killed him. <laughs> um, the, uh, which, I mean, you know, get in line of people that don't like Alexander Hamilton. But the, effect, the, the, the result of which, though, made the sitting vice president, because he was vice president when he shot him, so the sitting vice president was indicted and wanted by the state of New York and then later by the state of New Jersey. Well, at the time, D.C. had like no formal extradition. So mm-hmm. he went 
to D.C., the seat of the government, for his refuge, like for asylum, asylum to do his job, his one job. By the way, we think about vice president, like we talk about how feckless Kamala Harris is, and it's like, well, she only has two jobs. She has preside over the Senate and Mm -hmm. stand in line in case Joe dies. Like, so like (laughs) he, and and that wasn't even formalized back then. So the vice president at the time literally just had to go to DC and preside over the Senate. So he went there and did that. And guess what they were presiding over at that time? Oh, do tell. They were trying to impeach a a Supreme court justice. (laughs) The good old days, Alan dueling and impeaching judges. Uh, You know, it could be. (laughs) Should we record? Yeah. One, two, three. All right, you ready? I am ready. Are you recording? Yes. <laughs> All right, well, you want to start a show? Let's start a show. That podcast is filling your head with garbage. No offense taken there. Well, it sounds like none taken. Welcome to the Friday interview edition of None Taken, where every week my good friend Alan and I take a break from studying these headlines. We can't help it anyways. But we got an interview for ye. We, uh, but we'd still listen to 13 hours of podcast a day and watch three hours of cable news. So you don't have to. I was late on that one. Damn it. Uh, oh, uh, what's this button say, Alan? It says, uh, what day of the week so it is. So another Friday is upon us. Friday. What will you be doing, Smithies? Something gay, no doubt. What? What? You know, light-hearted, fancy-free. Mothers, lock up your daughters. Smithers is on the town. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, sir. <laughs> exactly, sir. Dude, I'm so stoked for this interview. Um, so this guy, uh, Ryan S. Walters, he's the author of a book. Um, I got this. It's Warren Harding, <laughs> the uh, the Jazz Age president. Um Man, there's so no safety net when we got music in the background, Alan. Just gotta, just gotta keep it moving. Um, Power through. Yeah. So this was fun. Um, you know, he's oftentimes this president is found at the bottom of the list of favorite presidents. Um, <laughs> worst. He's often listed uh, with like James Buchanan and probably now mm-hmm. alternately between Trump and I don't know George W. Bush. I say that, but I mean we're talking about Harding, just to be clear, the yeah, 29th president of the United States. Thank you. Sorry, I don't think so. Yeah, that. Oh yeah, not the author. The author is not we did not have the the author we have on is not often considered to be the worst one of the worst presidents no no no. uh i'm lost um so so it was an interesting take on it so it's somebody who's sort of been uh maligned by history and he's not necessarily trying to say like hey you know let's polish this up but he's like maybe we can look at this from a different angle uh maybe Mm here's different considerations for how somebody should be um, how somebody's history should be judged. And I think, you know, hundred years later is probably a good time for it. Um, 
It was a fun interview, and I, he was willing to engage on some of the more negative <laughs> aspects of of Harding's uh, life, um, and discuss that, and, and kind of you know come to his viewpoint of it. Uh, yeah, I think it was a, it was a lot of fun. Enjoyed it. I, I think the listeners will enjoy it too. Yeah, you guys love history. We as, ended up as much as we do. We so. ended up getting to uh, a little bit of Grover Cleveland, uh, another kind of forgotten mm-hmm. guy, and um, and then he's working on uh, something about Vietnam. So we ended up talking to him yeah. about that a little bit at the end too. So uh, let's get into it. Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the uh, the None Taken interview edition. Uh, well, this week we have author Ryan S. Walters, author of the book, The Jazz Age President. Um, I I stutter here. I want to say uh, I want to say a biography, but you explicitly say in the book it's not a biography. So a book about uh, the Jazz Age president at Jazz Age president Warren Harding. And for our listeners that maybe don't know Warren Harding, he was the leader of the group to first ascend the nose of El Capitan. Well, El Capitan in general, Yosemite in 1958, which is amazing to think that people were rock climbing with so. Alan, why are you laughing? No, no, Dustin, he was the 29th president. You're thinking of a different guy. Oh, shit, I hope guy. you have some questions. <laughs> we have plenty of questions. I'm joking. It was a little uh, radio stunt. Um, <laughs> so, Ryan, thank you for joining us. Um, Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Well, I was enjoying the, your interview on the Tom Woods podcast, and I was just, you know, I was enjoying it. The way I'm imagining our listeners are going to enjoy this conversation. And then towards the end, I'm, so you, so the interview was about your book, about Warren Harding, the president. And towards the end, you mentioned that uh, you had wrote, written another book about Grover Cleveland. And our listeners know I've been talking about him nonstop because I recently finished another biography on him. And just, just someone who I felt was... Uh, unrecognized properly by history. And, and I appreciated that, 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 that if you, if you, so we love obscurity and esoterica here at none taken. And despite these people being two of only 40 something people to hold that office, these two men, Harding and Cleveland have been tossed to the slag heap of history. And even if they're talked about at all, they rank Harding, you know, last tied with, you know, whatever, who, who, I mean, Harding, they they just they just assume it is the worst president ever with uh, Buchanan right and because because right. yeah so uh, I guess let's start with the easy one why do you think that is how how come these two men and you know we want to talk more about your book about Harding but what what do you think that phenomenon is about well it goes back to you have to look at who's doing the ranking um, most of these people are academic historians they're establishment historians and most of them are left. I mean, you look at these history departments around the country, um, it's 90 plus percent people who identify as liberal Democrats. So they have that work time you're working with ranking presidents and who, who people's favorite presidents are or, or presidents they hate. It really depends on what you see the world. I mean, are you conservative? Are you liberal? Are you or you know, whatever you are, that's how you're going to that's the prism you're going to view these presidents. And so. People like Cleve Harding, who believed in limited government and states' rights, and uh, those types of issues, they're they're not going to uh, they're not going to give them very high marks at all. Cleveland's kind of in the middle of the pack. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harding is usually in the bottom, but he's come up a few matches uh, in recent years. But he's still in the bottom ten, which is considered a failure. Which is, I mean, a failure. It's crazy. I mean, the the Roaring Twenties are a thing, but no, no, no. That was all Herbert Hoover's fault, and uh, somehow 
for what two years of it, and we'll we'll talk about that later. Let's, let's not jump. Yeah, we'll, too we'll, much. we're we're going to get to that, and we're also going to get to. Uh, you have some interesting uh, thoughts on Wilson, I think, as well, Woodrow Wilson. Uh, but before we get to that, so you write in your book that you intend to commit heresy. I'm paraphrasing here, but you intend to commit heresy as you defend Harding. You say that your critics will say his revision is history. So what really drew you to the story? Why do you feel so strongly that Harding needs somebody like you in his corner? Well, he has very, he has very few people in his corner. Mm-hmm. Um, almost nobody, and nobody will touch it. Um, so, it, like I said, it's, it's kind of that they've got the framework the way they want it. Harding's a failure, and and he's not even worth looking at. And that's the talking point. You know, all of these things that they say. But so it's heresy if you challenge that. They they throw that word revision at you as it as some sort of a curse or a you know a slur or something nobody wants to be tagged as a revisionist i don't throw out whatever you want to at me i don't really care i've looked at his record i've dug deep into his record got past the little talking points and i would just pick up tidbits every now and then and i thought you know this guy i don't think this guy was that bad and i started looking at what historians at primary sources i started looking at what did he say what what did he write not what some you know what did he believe not what somebody or, or their own interpretations. I said, let me see what did he actually do two and a half years in office because he died in the middle of his term. Mm-hmm. So when we look at the actual record and look at what was happening in the country and then what he did to turn things around. It's actually a very, very good record. And I've had so many people that have sent me notes and emails and said, you know, I didn't know Harding was all of that. Yeah. No, you don't. I mean, he's, he's, he's either trashed or ignored. Well, paint a picture of him. What? Uh, paint a picture of his early life, early career. You know, start wherever you think is most pertinent. Born a, a few a few months after the end of the Civil War, in, in November, he was actually born November the second, eighteen sixty, um, in Ohio. He's from a little town called Marion, Ohio, and he uh, originally got into the newspaper business. He was a journalist, bought a little newspaper when he was young, and he built that up. Marion Star still in existence. Um, into a very, very successful, um, and then from there moved in politics. He started going to the uh, Republican National Conventions as a journalist and then as a delegate. He served in the state Senate. Uh, he served as a term as lieutenant governor of Ohio, uh, ran for governor and lost, and then came back and was a United States senator. So he hadn't spent it. He wasn't a lifetime politician, a career politician. He really had very few years in office by the time President elected in 1920 he was actually elected on his birthday he's the only president we ever had that was elected on his birthday november yeah when you said 19th. november 2nd i'm like that feels like an election day like yeah yeah um nice so can we nice birthday present for him yeah yeah nice nice so can we actually get into a little bit of the criticisms of him um here just to begin with um so in the book you talk a lot about him being a people person very well liked down to earth now people the critics on the other side will say that you know, this guy didn't have any backbone. He couldn't say no to anyone. Um, you know, he kind of fell upwards. Uh, what, what's your response to that criticism? Yeah, that's that's one of the knocks. I mean, that's that he had that he hadn't accomplished anything. Like in the Senate, they say he's a backbencher. He didn't do anything. But again, when you dig into the record, he was very well liked uh, by a lot of people at, at home and, and around Marion, Ohio and throughout Ohio politics, but he was very well liked in Washington by the Republican party. He was, you know, he, the Republican national uh, convention, um, you know, he had, he gave the keynote address, um, 
a lot of things like that that show that people really had a lot of respect for him. He was on the Foreign Relations Committee in the Senate. Um, that, that's a big committee, and he was the chairman. Yeah, of the well, Senate so was Ilhan Omar. So very, sorry, I'm sorry. Well, <laughs> <laughs> very, very true. But the issue was the League of Nations, and that was a yeah. very serious issue, particularly for Henry Cabot Lodge and others to keep us from joining the League of Nations, which is what Woodrow Wilson. Yeah, and they began that debate in the Senate to stop this thing, and and uh, Lodge allowed Warren Harding, Senator Warren Harding, to give speech um, opposing the League of Nations. So obviously, he had a lot of people had a lot of respect for him, and nobody, and particularly when he was nominated for president, there was a lot of respect there. It wasn't because he was a pushover; didn't have any backbone. I give several examples of him showing a lot of backbone. Um, when he was president, you mentioned you talk a lot about the Treaty of Versailles and and the League of Nations um, and that speech that he gave at the Senate. He I, I think he's described it as one of the best speeches he ever gave or or other people have. Right. Oh, or yeah. Most influential. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was he was instrumental. I say he's very instrumental in helping stop that and convince people um, that we need to stop. The, the We don't need to the Treaty of Versailles. We don't need to join the League of Nations. I mean, he went with Lodge to the White House to talk to president Wilson about it. And, and he and president Wilson had an, ex, you know, a, a pretty serious exchange about the league of nations and Harding thought it was, you know, why are we getting it? Why are we doing this? Some Republicans had was the way the treaty was written and, and the league of nations was set up. We would have to commit ourselves to war if a member nation was attacked. Right. And the position was you're, you're taking power away from Congress uh-huh. declares war. Congress decides when we go to war, um, not, not, not the League of Nations. Sure, I like that. That's interesting. Um, so moving into like the the time period that you know that cause that's another thing people talk about these things out of the context of where they existed. So you know he he was elected in the twenties. The Roaring Twenties are a thing, as I sort of mentioned earlier. And we we talk about just the prosperity of that period. And now we talk a lot of it as maybe excess and how that let, you know, credit expansion and things like that. Or now I'm mm-hmm. conflating a few things. But um, <laughs> but all of that was is seen as a positive period in U.S. history. And then there's the crash and then the depression. Uh, but this man was president at the beginning of this decade of, of decadence. Uh, but all we learn in school is that that was, you know, it was Herbert Hoover's fault and that, you know, the Roaring Twenties were a bad thing. Um, what what effect did he have? What what steering, if any, did he have in that being uh, the, such a prosperous time period? Was it just a boom of post-war? Well, you have to put Harding in context. That's one thing I do in the first few chapters of the book. I want people to know what was going on in the country. That's another thing that, that has surprised people that read the book. They'll say, I, I didn't know the country was in such bad shape. I mean, there was just so many things going wrong. The economy went into a serious depression in January of 2020. After 1919, which was a, a year of upheaval with violence and all, you know, labor strikes, all kinds of things going on. And then we get this forgotten depression, it's called, in American history. And things went really bad. So, yeah, you've got a, you've got a post-war letdown uh, that's going on in the country. And it was getting pretty serious by the time Harding... And, of course, they used old-fashioned, laissez-faire, Jeffersonian conservative policies to cut taxes. Taxes for World War I had gone up. The top rate was 77%. Um, There was an excess profits tax. There was all kind of spending. I mean, 
before the war, spending was less than $800 million. Uh, that was the federal budget. Uh, in 1919, it was almost $20 billion in spending. Wow. Uh-huh. spending. And so massive taxation, all these things. So their idea is we're going to get rid of this. We're going to cut spending, cut taxes, regulations, all of these things. And you see the economy start booming by the summer of 1921. And we get the roaring 20s, which is the greatest period of profit we've ever had. Not even, yeah. you know, not even close uh, to anything we've seen in, in recent days. Yeah, you talk about everything that was going on leading up to him uh, being elected in 2020 or winning the election in 2020. Um, there was, you know, obviously exiting World War One. There was the Spanish flu or influenza. There was, you know, there was a lot of fatigue around what Wilson's policies, right, going into him being elected, which is part of why he got there, and the economic crisis, plus the violence. The, the, the you talk about all the the letter bombs, et cetera, that were happening yeah. during this time. Uh, there was just so much going on. What do you think it was about Harding that enabled him to like walk into that chaos and just sort of lay all these snakes out straight? Like, what was it about him that could do that? Well, I think, of course, I mean, I'm not trying to take anything away from Mr. Harding. Uh, any one of us um, on this program probably could have been elected in 1920. <laughs> 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 yeah. They had it with Democrats. They had it with progressivism. You got to remember, progressivism had been going on the previous 20 years, all these different changes that the country had been going through. And the people were just tired of that. And so Harding's campaign, a return to normalcy, was really a perfect slogan. And that's what people wanted, just normal living, the way it was before the war and all of these changes. Let's go back to being Americans. And, of course, Harding was a, you know, he had a, you know, a really nice voice, and they said he looked like a president, so that probably ruled me Elected. Yeah. Of course, this was really poor television, but uh, program and, you know, he had an America first agenda. He said, we're going to we're not going to be concerned about what they're doing in Europe anymore. We're going to disentangle ourselves and we're our problems at home. And that's what people wanted to hear. That's why he got over 60 percent of the vote. He's the first president to ever get 60 percent. It's pretty massive. And, uh, and, yeah. and 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 won the southern state. He was the first Republican to win since reconstruction tennessee so it was uh, as one paper called it it was not a it says not a landslide this was a this was an earthquake this was an avalanche election uh for the republicans you know it's funny you say that like he looked the part i've read that in so many different things that when i was studying about him um he kind of almost seemed to come out of central casting as like oh he looks like a president he should be the president do you think that was held against him in part like is that part of like people are like yeah he's just you know a suit Probably so. I mean, you know, they say, of course, I have no opinion on whether he's a nice looking man or not. <laughs> it's just not my thing here. <laughs> but, but you could say he looked presidential. He certainly did. Uh, he had a, you know, had a great voice and all of that. But people will say that was the reason he was elected. Mm-hmm. This was the first year women, women were allowed to vote in this election. So a lot of people thought, well, he's 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 going to get a lot of women vote because of how he looked. Oh. And they used that to say, That's... see, he won because of that, not because he knew anything. Wow. He didn't know anything about problems um, and, 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 and that kind of thing. He was always in the dark about problems. But that is not that is the case at all. I mean, look at his speeches, his letters. I mean, this is a guy that understood the issues and exactly what to do. And he and he he was the president the founding fathers would have liked like, he didn't come in with some vision and start doing everything like will and, and others is uh, i'm gonna put the best people i can in all and he did good with some offices and not mm, so good with it there is that yeah so so some of his some of his cabinet picks were good but he you know, picked a really good guy for a second 
the treasurer and say, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna work with these guys and we're gonna put the best program forward. I mean, he was he was open about saying, I don't know everything, and I'm not, you know, do that. I mean, he was that type of a guy. He was an honest guy. So, um, but he do a lot more than these historians. Uh, they just try to put him off as being dumb, and that way they can just they can they can. Uh, push his presidency through. Well, that's fine to to be the to not know everything, but be able to pick the right people. I mean, you know, say I I don't feel like Hubert Hoover is a great example of an American president, and I know he kind of gets lumped in with this continuation from uh, Harding on through, and then thank God for FDR. But uh, I mean, Hoover Hoover and what he did with World War One and and you know preventing famine in Europe. And I know there's controversy with it, but his reaction to the 1927 floods of the Mississippi, I think, were, you know, better than most people in those positions would have done those things. Uh, and that person was put into those offices by by Harding, right? Harding put him into uh, Commerce Secretary. Yeah, Harding basically said you can be Commerce Secretary or Secretary, and Hoover. Commerce. Hoover was a good administrator. I don't want to take away from yeah. Hoover. He's a very intelligent man, and he did a lot with you know famine relief and that kind of thing. And that's why Harding wanted him in there. Now, conservatives in the Republican Party did want him in there. They said he's too progressive. Uh, but of course, Commerce is not um, you know a huge cabinet department, yeah. and that was one example where Harding insisted on Hoover being put in the cabinet, and he won out. I mean, he didn't back down from that. And of course, the problem is it put him in line to be president later on. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that with him Yeah. Do you think that he would have been reelected uh had he not died in office? Do you think things were going in a positive trajectory for a reelection campaign? In 1924, yeah, I do. I mean, Coolidge won walking away. So, and, and Coolidge was his vice president, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um and but I think Harding would, of course he had the problem with the scandals, but Harding was dealing with the scandals. He was taking care of it. And that probably would have been used against him, but that's a good you point. You got an economy of boom, booming and you know, we, we left the Democrats they had left a mess. I mean, that, that would have been very hard for people, I think, to reverse course. I mean, it was a Republican uh deck. Yeah, the trajectory. Yeah, the trend was going that way. Yeah, you're right. Historically, you know, I'm glad you bring that up. So when I think of Harding, I I do think of scandals. And that's, you know, probably, you know, our education system for that, because I think Teapot Dome, it got its own chapter in the 12th grade textbook. Uh, but when I think of that, I think of Grant, too, you know, but the more you learn about Grant, the more you see this is someone who trusted people too much. And, you know, if you want to, if you want to talk about these people as if they're the same, well, Grant did almost nothing about these people that did that. And I, you know, I, I know from your writing that Harding, you know, had he not died in office, he, he, I mean, he already had started to prosecute these people, right? Actually, I'll let you talk about that more. So well, talk about uh, Harding and scandals. Yeah, that's where people say, well, this is why he's a failed president. Look at all the scandals as if there were a bunch of them. There's really only three scandals in his, I mean, that's three too many. <laughs> I was going to say, there's really only three. three. <laughs> It's going to have some kind of scandal, sure. depending on how you define it. Yeah. Um, but he had three, and he, and he gets tagged with it. And that's something um, that is a weakness of his. He did trust people too much, and he admitted that. I mean, he was a he was a nice man, and he believed in people, and he had confidence in them, and, hey, I'm going to bring this person in. And he just didn't believe people would do that. And, of course, they did. Of course, the first Veterans Administration, or the Veterans Bureau, rather, this is when we first started having veterans – hospitals and things after world war one uh -huh. we started building these things and of course uh, what happened was 
um, you get corruption in there. You, you, you got a huge program. They're spending millions and millions of dollars. And, and Charles Forbes was named by Harding to head the Veterans Bureau. And he's skimming off the top. I mean, that's just that's all you can say about it. He's skimming off the top for the tune of about two million dollars. And, you know, he went to prison. He went to prison. And Harding there's a story that Harding violently confronted him in the White House and it got him by the throat. Um, the, the, one of the attorneys in that bureau actually committed suicide over the scan. Uh, there's one in the Justice Department. Uh, you talk a lot about these scandals and how he did deal with them eventually once they came to his attention. Uh, the whole teapot thing seemed to be dealt, you know, that was more posthumously. He didn't have he didn't he wasn't able to really respond to that. I guess the pushback would be shouldn't he have known? Like if you were if 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 that's a CEO, if that's Sam Bickman freed, like shouldn't he know yeah. what's going on? Uh, shouldn't he be aware? And isn't that isn't that a, a, a derogatory mark? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean he's you know, he's the president as Harry Truman said the book stops here. And I think mm-hmm. he would have agreed with that. Great, great president like, for example, Harry the, Truman. The, the, I mean, they did. <laughs> well, we'll have to discuss that. <laughs> I, actually, for a moment, I got him and LBJ confused, and I was trying to trigger you with that LBJ reference, but it's similar <laughs> enough. But I'll allow you to go with your train of thought. I apologize. Nope. Well, the Justice Department Attorney General and his uh, chief guy, uh, they were basically selling pardons and selling government favors out of this house that nobody knew about. Oh. Um, but again, of course, that particular person Harding confronted him. His name was Jesse Smith. He was kind of a, the under the, the, the right hand man of the attorney general. And Harding confronted him and he said, you know what, we're going to prosecute you. You're going to prison for this. Go home and get your affairs in order. And he went home, burned his papers and shot him. Um, so he got his affairs in order. I mean, so again, <laughs> that's one way to do it. It, it wasn't like Grant. Who's, it wasn't like Grant who said, you know, I'm gonna let these guys resign without a penalty. Yeah. You know, with great regret. I mean, yeah. there was he was trying to do something about the scandals. Yeah. Who was the one that he allowed to leave the country, um, and that became a bit of a scandal right after he yeah, found Forbes. out that it was Forbes. Okay, and that was the veterans yeah, thing where he was skimming all that. Okay. Right. But he came back and was put in prison. I mean, so I right. told him the same thing, get your affairs in order. And he said he had to go to Europe to do that. But he did come back. He did spend time in prison. He he was in prison. And of course, in Teapot, Albert Fall, the Secretary of the Interior, went to prison. Mm-hmm. First cabinet officer to go. Of course, that was after Harding had already died. But uh, the point is, Harding was doing out it and he was very, very distraught. And even some of his detractors at the time, people that didn't like him at the time, believed but that's what ultimately caused his heart to give out. Uh, said, so, you know, he basically died of a broken heart. I mean, he was seemed to be very broken hearted that people had done this, that they had stole taxpayer money and done this on his watch. And there's probably something to be said about that. Yeah, some of the stuff I read about him seemed to indicate that I guess if he were alive today, we would say that he suffered from stress. Like he was he was he he held this stuff very close to the vest, right? He did. Yeah. He did. He was very upset about it, particularly found out about Teapot Dome. He sat down with Herbert Hoover on his trip west and he said, what, you know, what do we need to do about this? Should we expose it? And Hoover said, yeah, we need to put it out there. And that's, that was the plan when they got back from the trip. Of course, Harding never made it back. He right. got to San Francisco. So it's kind of hard to condemn him for Teapot Dome when he had a plan to do something about it and the man died i mean we can't really you know but of course they're going to use that as a as a as a whip against him yeah can you explain what the whole teapot dome thing was for listeners that don't know yeah the navy 
course, in those days, naval vessels ran on petroleum, and they had oil reserves out west. One of them was a Teapot Dome, Wyoming. That's where the name comes from. Mm-hmm. It was Hills, California. And they were set aside exclusively for the Navy. They were under control of the Navy Department. When uh, Harding came into office and appointed Albert Fall as Interior Secretary, he had it, the Navy, and of course, the Navy uh, Secretary was kind of um, – well, he's an idiot anyway. Kind of, he was kind of <laughs> dim, <laughs> and he convinced him to transfer those under control, and he just leased them to private oil men to develop them and drill on those on the land. And he was bribed to do that. He got quite a bit of bribe money to do it, um, and that's why he went to prison for uh, bribery. Of course, later uh, the Supreme Court those oil fields to the Navy Department under, under their control, so it all worked out. And and so it was just a it was a it was really not that big of a scandal by today's standards. Some of the things mm-hmm. that happened in the last few decades, as one author said, it was rather rinky-dink. And that's <laughs> Where would you yeah. rank it somewhere between, let's say, just hypothetically, between beige suit and January 6th? <laughs> <laughs> or water closer, closer to beige closer suit? To, oh, yeah, water. Well, um, yeah. Well, Peapot Dawn would be... Uh, Rank well below uh, yeah, that. Yeah, didn't really there, there's so much that's going on now that it, it ought to it ought to make people's hair stand up on end. That's nonstop. You want know, to talk about teapot dome, and you know, and you, it's, I'm thinking that's nothing yeah. compared to what's going on now. It's, I, it's great for doing a so I, uh, current events podcast, though. It's wonderful. It, it yeah. is good. Yeah, it is good fodder. Um, I, mean, I have a couple. What was the last? What was the last cabinet officer or somebody high in the government went to prison? Yeah. I, I'd like to know. That. Uh, I. You Nobody know what? The only name I could think of is Scooter Libby, and he wasn't. <laughs> I'm just thinking like that's yeah. the only name that comes to mind. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of them that need to. I'll yeah, say that. Sure, sure. <laughs> I, got, I have a couple more questions for you before we get to Cleveland. Um, so Prohibition was in effect, or he signed that right into effect during his time in office? Wilson did. It was it was in effect, but okay. it came in with, with World War One. Wilson signed it in 1920. Okay, but but Harding still enjoyed a beverage, uh, right? And they still served. Yeah, he, he yeah. flaunted it like everybody else in the country. Hell yeah. Right, right. Dude, I okay. love that. I didn't uh, know that. Wait, I, I must have got, not got to that in the book yet. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. love that. <laughs> they served alcohol at the White House. To, yeah. To, yeah. To, yeah. He, you know, he, had, he liked to have a little good time with his friends, but uh, of course, the, the drinking while he was president before the end, he had stopped doing that. So I think right. part, partly because he had duties, but I think partly because right. his health was kind of slipping away. Right, right. Um, all right, so let's address some of the whole womanizer accusations, which I know you you touch on some in the book. There, you make a statement in the book that he did not have any mistresses while he was in the White House. Now, I haven't finished the book, but so where do, so Nan Harding published a book, The President's Daughter. Um, it's been confirmed by DNA that, that, that he was indeed the father of her child. Um, and she claims that they had an affair while he was in the White House. What is your evidence that, that that's not true? Well, there's a number of people that worked in the White House that dispute it. And the, 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 the biggest of those is the chief of the Secret Service, Edmund mm-hmm. uh, uh, Starling, and Mars that that did not happen. He had him under uh, constant surveillance. Nobody came in the White House. I mean, other people in the White House, the doorman and people that would have to catalog people and said nobody came in there. It was, you know, there was no uh, closet off, the, off of his office, you know, where they snuck in there and had a, you know, had a fun time or whatever. None of that happened. I mean, everybody that White House disputed that. Okay. All right. And what about Carrie? 
he had a couple of affairs uh, early in life. I mean, his marriage wasn't the best in the world. He said at one point about his wife, uh, she gives me hell all the time. <laughs> yeah. um, so I don't think he had the best the best marriage. Now she was very a good businesswoman, and she was instrumental in building up the Marion Star newspaper. But I don't mm-hmm. think their relationship was very uh, romantic. I'll say that. So and she was. She was five years older than him, too, so you could imagine the dynamic there might be, you know, not ideal. Yeah, um, she was a, I don't think she liked things, you know, uh, he and, and she and like Harding did. So he had he had a couple of affairs, but it's not he's not like JFK, who, you know, had a woman like every right. other day or something. And, yeah. you know, whatever. <laughs> and well, just, I mean, you, you, you called uh, it out in the book. Presidents are men. And, if, you know, these things, you know, sometimes happen. Lyndon uh, Johnson was wild, too. Look, Lyndon Johnson was. Oh, yeah. We've discussed on the program. He Famously, to, with his famous, he liked to whip it out on his desk. Yes, yeah. uh, on his desk, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what about I mean, so he, Carrie Phillips? Uh, another one of his affairs, and she was or became sort of a German sympathizer, and that sort of became a problem for him, right? Yeah, before the war, yeah that that was that that became a problem. He had he had a lot a long affair. Mm-hmm. They wrote a lot of letters and stuff, and his letters. Now I'm telling you, they are some steamy letters. When you start, <laughs> I mean, he nicknamed. <laughs> private parts and all that stuff i mean it, it's it's quite um wait so especially you, for that time wait, wait so what's the nickname oh yeah yeah what's the nickname um uh, jerry jerry yeah it was jerry uh, <laughs> <laughs> i knew this why yeah <laughs> i read stuff i didn't i didn't put that in the book but you know that's <laughs> that's not what really the point but no of course nan Britton. the problem with her she was quite young i mean can she this young girl's infatuation with, you know, a high ranking government official. And, and again, he did father a child with her. And of course, I think a lot of her book was, was exaggerated for, because nobody well, would publish it. I mean, she had to publish it herself. She was trying to get paid, essentially. She was so she was yeah. complaining that that he had uh, set up that he was going to take care of her and the child, and then post after he died, that Florence you know said no, we're not doing that anymore, and so she's like, well, I'm forced to do this because it's the only way I can support myself. Is that essentially what that was her yeah. argument? Well, yeah, he wouldn't have anything to do with it, right? This okay. the similarities actually, with Cleveland are so like not I was the just going to say, scandal, but such similar scandals. Somebody with a younger yeah. and and also people from the outside, so they're criticized because they aren't. You know, I mean to say, I mean of course Cleveland did kind of go through the ranks, but it all happened so fast. He was essentially an outsider by the time he was president. We're not into the Cleveland yet. You still have yeah. good stuff to say. I'll let you steer still, Alan. All right. So before we get to Cleveland, so. Let's. I have some a list of some of the good things that that uh, that Harding did. What about all the good um, which, things? That, is it the roads, Alan? Then <laughs> the trains Cal ran on time. Yeah, yeah. No, so some of the things that he accomplished that sort of get lost in history, based on you know everybody focuses more on the scandals, etc. Um, so in it, so I have a list, but what would you say? What are some of the things that he accomplished that sort of go under the radar um, in his presidency in his short two and a half years in that office? Under the radar, well, aside from the economy, I mean, of course, nobody gives him credit for the boom in the economy. Mm-hmm. I try to do. I mean, most, most people call it, if they talk about it at all, they'll talk about Coolidge prosperity or whatever. And Coolidge did a lot, but Coolidge just took took up where Harding left off when he died in 1923. I mean, he's responsible for a lot of the economic boom. One of the things I like to talk a lot about, two areas, is foreign policy doesn't get any credit for anything on foreign policy. And what he did to heal the divides in the country, again, the things that were going on in 1919, the, the racial violence, all those kind of things. 
those are two thing areas I think that, that get swept under the rug again because mm-hmm. what he tried to do was pull back from Wilson internationalism and so we're going to disengage from that. We're not we never joined the League of Nations. He, began, he withdrew our troops from Germany, uh, the Rhineland in Germany. He he uh, had a final World War once, so but could finally be done with it. They were uh, the, the foreign debt situation. He called the Washington Disarmament Conference to begin scaling back naval power. Uh, there was also some treaties that were struck at that at that conference that helped to uh, keep the peace in the Pacific for at least a decade. So there are a lot of things. He rebuilt our relationship with Mexico and much of the Caribbean. He withdrew troops from the Caribbean that Wilson had put down there. So his foreign policy, I think, is really, really good, uh, much better than Wilson. Wilson had made a mess. I, rela- I mean, Mexico had dis- you know, had, had we had several different relations with Mexico uh, over the things that the Wilson had done. Zimmerman- Harding helped to restore that. Was that related to the Zimmerman telegram, or am I conflating that? No, of course, Mexico rejected that, but a lot of it had to do with Pancho Villa oh. and, and our, our pursuit of Pancho and that kind of thing. And and they they thought that the Mexicans believed, the Mexican government thought of Woodrow Wilson as an enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harding came in, they said, this is a, this guy's a friend, and there's a new, there's a new day for Mexican-American relations, and Harding worked to repair that. All right, you covered most of my list. I have uh, he was pro women's suffrage, right? Yep, yep. Uh, he he really supported the anti lynching bill, even though it didn't end, end yeah. up going he anywhere. Pushed the uh, civil rights bill. Yep, he pushed for that as well. And then uh, the last thing I have is the people really loved him. You know, before all the scandals broke posthumously, uh, people really respected and loved him. The the train that carried his body across the country to his resting place, there were just hundreds of thousands, millions of people maybe along that route, uh, just sort of paying their respects. Yeah, he was very popular. Look at how many votes he got for president. And then when he, um, it was said that his uh, funeral procession and the, and the train and everything was the, the biggest in the country since Lincoln's assassination. Oh, right. So there was a lot of outpouring for him. So he was very well beloved. Of course, the scandals, a lot of the scandals too hit after, so that helped, that kind of helped to hurt him, if you will. Um, after he died, yes, his, yes. Yeah, he was all he couldn't defend himself. So I guess that you know, hundred years later, here I am. <laughs> You're the guy. All right. Well, let's get into some Cleveland stuff, Dustin. What do you got? Uh, yeah. Well, I want to ask you a question about how the parties flipped, and I think that the time period of Cleveland's the time to do that. But just for setting the scene, I think I've said it a little bit already. You know, um, Cleveland was very much an outsider uh, that came into politics and kind of took people by surprise, of being very. Um, I don't know if stoic's the right word, but he knew what he wanted and he was uh, kind of stubborn about it. And he tended to be very, he, he, he tended to predict what was actually the right thing as opposed to all the arguments that were happening in Washington and stick to those things, tariffs, for example. Um, let's get to that. But before we get to that, um, that I, I think during, so uh, Cleveland had two terms, uh, non-consecutive. During his second term, and by, certainly by the end of it, I think is sort of the, the time period where you can say that the parties had flipped or they were maybe mid-flip. Um, you know, so Democrats are the Klan and the South and Republicans are the party of Lincoln. Uh, what, what can, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, as I call him, he's the last Jeffersonian, the last mm-hmm. Jeffersonian president. Yeah. Um, the, the Democratic Party was a... a Party of Jefferson and Jackson, limited government, states' rights, um, low tariff, you know, no debt. 
That doesn't sound like Democrats today right. at all. I mean, they're, they're nothing like that. Yeah. And Cleveland was the last one of these because in 1896, after Cleveland left his second term, the nominee was William Jennings Bryan. And oh, William yeah. Jennings Bryan began the, began the process of taking the first little step to the left. I mean, he believed in uh, uh, very low tariffs and then income tax and and antitrust and, and all of these things. Um, so he was a populist and he had really taken over the Democratic Party. And you don't see the Democratic Party really return to that. As a matter of fact, by the time Cleveland died in 19, uh, 1908, people were saying the old Democratic Party is dead and it was dead. And then you get Woodrow Wilson and then FDR and, and here we go. So how did the Republicans, was it just there was a vacuum and then that's why, then that was pretty much it? They filled in the vacuum as the, as the Democrats yeah, became progressives, progressive populists? For, for a time, for a time, the progress, progressivism infected both parties equally. Yeah. I mean, uh, William James Bryan running as a Democrat in 1896 and 1900. And of course, who, who ends up being the Republican president in 1901? Theodore Roosevelt. And he's a and yep. you know Taft wasn't quite so much. You get you get there's in both parties, but you get a cons- very strong conservative wing and that forms and builds in the Republican Party. That's what you see with Harding and Coolidge. We've had that fight for a hundred years in the Republican Party between liberal, moderate, conservative, and every now and then that conservative wing will rise up. Harding and Coolidge, and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, you know. Robert Taft could never, you know, get the nomination. And, and of course, then you get Barry Goldwater. So every now and then it does. But in many ways, the Republican Party is still the same old party of, as, of, of Lincoln. But there's just the conservatives have moved into that party as the only vehicle they have. I get it. Yeah. Uh, in truth, the true Jeffersonians like myself, we really just don't have a party. Right. And people the Republican Party. Well, it's really not. I mean, yeah. Establishment of the Republican Party is the same old establishment Republican yeah. Party has always been. Yeah, you were talking I mean, about it's, debt it's, and yeah. limited government before. I was like, well, that's also not Republicans anymore either. Yeah, yeah. I, I've struggled with this my whole life. I've been, I've been registered Democrat, registered Republican. I've just talked to you in the kitchen really quick. I voted for George Bush. And that, you know, I hate myself for it. Like I, I, I yeah, right. Um, but like, literally, I was also protesting the war in Iraq. Like, I didn't know what, like, how, where, what lane made sense because there were so many things that angered me about every party. I was a libertarian for maybe the last decade, and then uh, one of our best listeners of the show—I I shouldn't have said that—he's a friend of mine. He—he uh, <laughs> he said he's like you. If, he's like I work with um, what what lobbyist groups all the time. I would tell you they would give you a solid C score. You're a C. You're not an A. You're not an F. They can't count on you for shit. They can't count on you to vote against anything. They can't count on you for anything. <laughs> He's like, you need to just accept you're an independent. I'm like, okay, I'm an independent. But I'm listening to you, and I'm like, maybe I'm a Jeffersonian. <laughs> <laughs> the older I get, the more libertarian I get, you know, day by day. And of course, as a historian, the more you dig into things, um, the more truth revealed. And I don't understand how any historian can be a liberal, but they are. And so uh, it's hard because we don't really have anywhere to go. I mean, in 2000, I voted for Pat Buchanan. Um, 2004, you know, Bush and some of these other guys. And I'm thinking, gosh, what an idiot I was um, to, to fall for that. But it's, it's hard because if, you're, if you really believe in limited government and the Constitution, 
I mean, where do you go? What choice do you have? We actually played a clip about a philosopher on our other show this week, uh, philosopher Simone Weil, and she was saying that, you know, it's fine if you make a choice uh, between two evils, but at the end of the day, you have to remember that you did vote for evil and you should, you know, treat them appropriately. To reconcile that. Yeah. yeah reconcile hey, that. Dustin mentioned that, that uh, Cleveland was a bit, uh, you know, stubborn, set in his ways. Sometimes maybe he made decisions because he believed they were right as opposed to what they would do for him politically. Um, he vetoed a bill to pay Civil War veterans at, at some point, right? Do you talk about that in your book? Well, it was already a pension program, and this was an expansion of that. You got to remember mm-hmm. that was a big part of the Republican Party base. Yeah, and they were really trying to reward everybody um, that, that served any time at all in the Union. And it was called a dependent pension bill. So he wasn't against pensions. He was he wanted to make sure that they were actual veterans who had served, who had, had seen combat, had been wounded, and they deserved a pension. And a lot of people that have looked at this said this was really the first federal welfare bill. Even Cleveland said something similar. He said, you're taking a role of honor and you're making it a refuge of frauds. And he vetoed that because it was so expansive. I mean, the, the, they had expanded the qualifications to where all you had to do was serve 90 days in the Union Army or had served 90 days in the Union Army. I mean, you could have served him into the war and didn't even see a shot fired in anger. And if you had an injury, no matter how you got the injury, you could have gone home to the farm hurt, you know, uh, fell off. Sprained your ankle. Yeah. You could and people applied for pensions for crazy stuff like that. Yeah. No, um, there was and, there was a ridiculous uh, amount of fraud. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that and that was his point was this is nothing but a refuge of frauds. Yeah, so we talked about how there's some similarities between him and, and Harding, his wife uh, Francis, or I guess she went by Frank. Uh, significantly younger than him, she was, I believe, the wife of his law partner at some point, and then he died. Um, can you talk about that bit of a scandal there? Yeah, he's a, he was a, Cleveland was a bachelor when he was elected president um, in 18. Only wedding in the White House, right? Yep. Huh? Only, Only wedding in the White House. Yeah. 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 Uh, got married in the White House in 1886 to uh, Frances Folsom. She was 21. Um, of course, that may seem strange today, but, uh, you know, it's, it's good if you're an old guy like us. I mean, 21 year old. <laughs> The public loved her. They had to like they they made a bunch of like patent law just because people were like using her likeness on stuff. Yeah, yeah. She was she was the youngest first lady in history at twenty one. She was very well beloved. There's no question about that. Yeah, she was the daughter of his law partner. His law partner was named Oscar Fold. Oh, okay, daughter. Yeah, and killed in eighteen seventy four. And she was actually his ward. Cleveland took care of her because she was still just a child, and he made sure she was taken care of. And of course, when she was twenty one, they. They got married in the White House and and had a number of children. Yeah, it, also it, was tangled up in the, in the scandal. If that's referring to the uh, the uh, yeah, that was pregnancy. a separate story. The pregnancy was a different story. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about we'll talk that because that. that's that's what that's what reminds me of. It's like the same playbook for Harding. Like just change it up a little, you know. Yeah, it, it, here's the backstory of that. Um, there was a woman named. Help in, in Buffalo with Cleveland with a law partner. And he was a young man and she was kind of, a, a, we should say, a loose woman, uh, did drink occasionally. And she had a lot of male suitors and uh, got pregnant, had a child. She named the child Oscar Folsom Cleveland. Remember that Oscar Folsom was Cleveland's law partner right. and best friend. And so whose child was it? Now, Cleveland took responsibility for it, paid for it the first year. 
he eventually, because he was a lawyer, went to court and got the child removed from her because she was such a bad woman and, and drinking and that kind of no, thing. No, she was the and one that was in put a, in a mental hospital? Yeah, yeah. Okay. She was she was nuts. And there's and there's so there's actually good reporting. I, I I'm so sorry for cutting you off, but I, I don't want to go past this because a lot of our listeners might have heard a lot of the new spin on that story is oh no, he's a terrible person. He put her there. She didn't want to be there, it was against her will. That that story gained popularity, as you would imagine, in our modern, you know, retelling of uh, awful men of history, that that was done on some pretty flimsy reporting. There is really not a lot of good evidence to prove that's true, and the and quite a bit of evidence to prove the contrary. And that was the best thing for the child to get away from her. Yeah. Um, and of course, the po point is, Oscar Folsom was married, and I've always believed that Cleveland took responsibility to keep his friend out of trouble. He was a bachelor, you know. What, I don't. He's at the time. He's not thinking I'm going to be governor of New York and right. president of the United yeah. States. This is never. Go who cares? Right. You know. But he climbed the ladder so fast. And, of course, in that campaign, um, his aides in the campaign, the Democratic Party officials, when that hit, this is perfect. You could just blame it on he's been dead for 10 years. What does it matter? <laughs> this will show you Cleveland's character. Yeah. He said, I'm not going to drag my friend's name through the mud to win an election. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. 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 No, you mentioned – you mentioned how fast he rose. I mean, he went from like what mayor of Buffalo to sure. governor to president in like four years or something crazy like that. Yeah. 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 Wow. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk about the uh, the operation on the yacht. Uh, <laughs> he didn't want this to be made public that he had cancer, um, and this was kind of a big deal back then. That was almost a death warrant. Um, can you talk about that story a little bit? Yeah, and that's one thing that people point. There's a book written recently, a terrible book about that, and people have brought that up. You have to remember his second term, um, the Panic of 1893 hit, which has been, um, which is probably the second worst depression in our history. It was pretty bad. Unemployment was 20 to 25. Mm. He, he had worked hard to, to get the economy back stabilized. And he was a, and part of that was maintaining the gold standard. He was a gold bug Democrat. And his his vice president, Adelaide silver guy. was a silver guy. Mm -hmm. And his position was if people think I've got cancer and I'm gonna die, and I'm if I die and he comes into office, it's gonna wreck, uh, could wreck the market. So they said he had to have some dental work done. He goes out to the yard and of course he has part of his upper jaw removed. Yeah. And so I guess it was dental work. It was just a little <laughs> it was on well, it was so much it was on a table, like it was in the dining hall yeah. on a table with a swinging lamp and a rocking boat. And just wild. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, so much of his upper palate was removed that he couldn't talk until he had like a prosthetic in, installed yeah. or something. Yeah. And they pulled yeah. it off. They pulled it off. The they they really had like a perfect gap of time period for They the, got the, lucky yeah. that yeah. the seas weren't crazy. Yeah. yeah. No, much. but also they pulled off his recovery time and speeches and things like that. It, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I I I think I mean, I don't think I have a whole lot more to ask about either of these guys, and we should save some for your book, The Jazz A's President, about <laughs> Warren Harding, not the climber. Um, but at, at, towards the end of the Tom Woods interview that you were on, you said something that I'm really going to need to hear you sell, if you have the time. Um, you said that you're interested in rehabbing Andy Johnson's image. I, I need a sell on that. I, and, and it can't just be that he wasn't Lincoln, because, I mean, that's not enough. Like, I, I get that, but... Uh, okay. Having Andy Johnson. Okay. Let me, let me just, let me, let me throw this out there. M maybe. Okay. 
Okay. I might do that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> is it like with acknowledgement that if yes, this, this, and this is bad, but is that kind of? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, Andrew Johnson, I think, I understand what happened with the war and what was happening with reconstruction and what the radicals were trying to do to the country. He was trying to, he's a lot like Cleveland in the sense that Cleveland was trying to rebuild and return to that Jeffersonian Republic we enjoyed before the war. And, Andrew Johnson was trying to stop what a lot of the radicals were doing. And my point was that if you look at just if you look at and grade presidents on who was really upholding their oath of office, uh, which is to preserve, protect and defend the Constitution. Uh, that's what Andrew Johnson was trying to do. And I would tell people out there, look, go read his veto messages when he vetoed, he vetoed a lot of bills and a lot of them were overturned. Um, and people criticize him. He vetoed the civil rights bill. He vetoed the Freedmen Bureau bill and all these kind of things. Go look at what he said about it in his veto messages. This is unconstitutional. The Constitution doesn't give you the authority to do this. He was trying to preserve and defend the Constitution. And we get caught up in the emotionalism and, and racial issues and that kind of thing. And um, don't really stop to look at what he was trying to do. He could he could see what was how the republic was being transformed in his position, we need to try to save what we had and rebuild it. So that that's kind of the, the vein I'm looking at. I hear that. I could hear that. I, I also do hear that you talk funny and you're probably sympathetic though, right? <laughs> I live in Tennessee, I'm teasing. I just I haven't I haven't gained an accent. Where, yeah, where? well it's like I tell me that all the time, but I'm I'm in Texas, but ah. I'm originally from Mississippi, so I'm right next door neighbors. So I'm south. I was gonna guess Mississippi, yeah. You know, it's funny when I hear people would hear me talking and say, you're not from Texas, yeah. are you? And I'd say, no. Yeah. Where do you think I'm from? They usually Mississippi or Alabama. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't quite Alabama, and I couldn't say why, but yeah, I was leaning Mississippi. The Sippy. The South Mississippi accent. Yeah. yeah. This has been a lot of fun. Um, oh, you know what? Hold on. Yeah. If you have time for just one b briefly, we have a very loyal listener of ours in Vietnam. I know you're focusing now on the Vietnam War, aren't you? Can you talk about a little bit where you're at in that process? What drew you to that? Well, I've, I've got a couple of projects I'm working on. The big one is is um, a political history of the entire Vietnam War, looking at it from the political side, not not the, the military aspect uh -huh. of it, and the lies that were told and the deceptions and all the things that were happening. So, sort of looking at Vietnam, the Vietnam War through you know Lyndon Johnson and Nixon and Kennedy, and but not only that, the members of the cabinet of Congress, what was going on in the, and what were they saying about it? That kind of thing. So, um, you know, I was look when I was younger, I was a you know I was more of a neoconservative. Hey, we got a you know war and let's you know we we got to go kill communists and all that kind of regime stuff. Regime change. I mean, you know, yeah. under, going to Vietnam and studying Vietnam, and that's why I'm calling my whoever I get to publish it to let me call it an unnecessary war because a lot of conservatives try or defend that, and I think defensible when you dig down into it. Yeah. Just the lies yeah. and, and that kind of thing, uh, getting getting a lot of good people killed. And one of the a picture I have from one of the Vietnam War protests I put in the book, somebody's holding up a sign, and my son was killed in Vietnam for what? Uh -huh. And I said, there you go. Yeah. Like the whole that's that's right there in one one picture for what? Because name me one politician in Washington um, that lost in, lost a son in Vietnam. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. So um, they certainly didn't mind using uh, people for cannon fodder. And, and when you read the Pentagon Papers and you see the fact that 
uh, 70% of our effort was to keep being humiliated. I mean, we were getting people killed <laughs> just and be, you know, humiliated. I mean, that, that's just, that's just, uh, it, it just angers it's me. Dis- yeah, it's despicable. It really is. Yeah. And they do this in our name and uh, using our tax money, which, you know, that it, it takes it out of the personal into the uh, more, I guess, rational and less emotional. But I mean, that's equally outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. One of many unnecessary wars, unfortunately. Yeah, I've got a book here by Scott Horton about that. And dude, it's it's been it's been great having you. Um, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, the Jazz Age President by Ryan S. Walters. You guys can get it on Audible. That's where I got it. Um, or you can buy it in paper or, or hardcover, I guess. Where uh, where where would you like people to find you? I know that you can get your book on Audible and Amazon. Um, what are your social medias you want people to follow, etc.? What do you got? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. I have a little website, ryanswalters.net. Um, you can find me on uh, Facebook or Twitter. I'm very easy to find. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't hide myself. I mean, my email, my email address is right there on my website. And, um, you know, I think, I think I have it on my Amazon profile. So, I mean, I like people to send me emails and notes it's, it, and I try to respond to all of them. Awesome. So I'm, cool. I'm not hard to find. Cool. Well, we appreciate you coming on the program. Yeah, it's been it's a lot been of great fun. Talking it's been a lot of fun. Thanks right. a lot. Cheers. Cheers. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that. We enjoyed doing it. Uh, this week, um, it feels like it's been forever since we've actually had some straight up headlines and we're not necessarily doing that now, but right before I uh, opened up the Zoom for you, um, mm-hmm. I saw a bulletin come across from Atlas News that I oh. think I do want to share. It's not- We got to talk about global. it. Okay. Yeah. Do tell it's bizarre. So the so here's the headline: News crew, child, and mother shot in Orlando. Oh shit! So according to Orange County dog. Sheriff's, no, it's not. We're not. It's talking to the microphone if you're going to say it, Alan. <laughs> um, according to Orange County Sheriff's Department, so a suspect shot a woman this morning. Then when the news was there covering the scene they came back and shot two members of a news crew then they went in who's they i don't well i'll tell you in a second because they they do have someone arrested um it's one person though uh and then after they shot the news crew they ran into a a nearby home and shot a mother and daughter um three are dead two are in critical condition suspect or not the, they, they have a suspect arrested that has a shitload of priors it's in orlando florida we had an incident in california central valley i think uh maybe last month where like an entire family was killed including yeah. like a yeah a young mother and and infant child um and they believe that was essentially cartel related drug related mm. kind of thing um yeah it sucks um that's bizarre and, though right like how they went back to the scene to do that like that's just that is that is pretty yeah yeah, yeah. Um, the, that makes me think cartel because they're, they're the only people that are like brazen enough to kind of do that. Kind yeah. Of stuff. I mean, I guess the cartel could hire anybody, but like demographically, yeah. he doesn't look like who you're imagining, I would say. Okay. Yeah. But still, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. he had a lot of priors. I don't know. Uh, we yeah. don't do individual stories like that. That's kind of weird. The other thing that happened today, I just don't want to wait until next week to talk about anything. The other thing that I saw today that was huge was Israel did a daytime raid, which is like. Mm-hmm. It just looks more like war when they do it during the day. Like when you like when there's just like flashes at night, you're like, ah, oh, God damn it, Israel, stop doing this shit. But like in the day, it's like, Jesus Christ, you're driving like assault vehicles into crowds and shit. Like, can you talk about what happened? 
<clears throat> I I didn't see all of it, but yeah, there, there was definitely another. I think ten people uh, killed. Eleven in now. Eleven dead. 11? Over a hundred injured, okay. and now thousands of people are protesting. Yeah, um, as you would expect. This this just continues to be like. Is this BB's government? Like, is this? But does this seem different under BB's? Like new, uh, much more aggressively right wing government. Yeah, I mean, I think that certainly makes it worse, and I think people feel more enabled or whatever to do this sort of thing. Um, but yeah, this we've been seeing this for what two, three decades at this point. Like yeah, it's sure. just yeah, it's yeah. it's just more of the same. It sucks, um, and I wish AOC knew more about it. You don't think they have a right to defend themselves? I said I wish AOC knew more about it. Yeah, I know. You don't think uh, they have a right to defend themselves? Of course, they have a right then to defend what, themselves. What are, you, what are you criticizing this for then? No, I'm not criticizing it. I'm, <laughs> I'm saying I wish AOC could be more, uh, could speak to the problem more eloquently than she has. With the, with, As so, we, so you think the settlements are wrong, Alan? Are you doing the? Yes. Are you doing the AOC I'm, yeah, interview I'm thing with you. Yeah, to me? Yeah, I'm sorry. Is that not okay? <laughs> Uh, hey, let's well, talk. At least you made me laugh on I'm that glad. topic. Yeah, so there's that. I mean, what can you do, right? Like, yeah. Like, what can you do is what you say when you drop a dozen eggs. I mean, sorry. This is. <laughs> hey, what can you do? All right, let's uh, let's get. Did you in. see that Trump also uh, delivered Trump Dude, water to fucking, East Palestine? Uh, he he brought Trump water. Did he bring a bunch of paper yeah. towels? No, just Trump water. As far as like, it's. I thought he was going to come up with a pallet of paper towels. Just what like, the fuck is like Trump water? Them in yeah, the audience, like, like it's David Buster's. Yeah. What yeah, uh yeah. what what are you talking about Trump water? Is that a, did he do a brand? It's a launch? brand. Did he do a brand? Yeah, launch? he's had a brand water for a long time. Oh, I thought it went under, but apparently he brought it back. Well, he's got warehouses full of this water. I can't sure. get rid of this water. Sure. Uh, next to the Trump steaks and the Trump. He University. did that in Palestine. Yeah. Did you see all the housing prices in Palestine? Just like you're. No. I mean, I imagine trying to sell a house there. Who would fucking who was moving oh, there before? Yeah, but like, dude. Yeah. That's a whole lane that we haven't thought about. Like, hey, watch where you live. Make sure you don't, uh, you know, be subject to natural disasters or man-made ecological disasters. You're mm. fucking with the water out yeah, here. There's not, that. Not Palestine. Like Nashville has been covering up how they've been fucking with the water out here too. So good. good yeah. Keep my eyes on it. Uh, probably, probably bring a story to that. Did you also later. see that the Secretary of the, what was it? I think the former, this is no, so former Attorney General in. In Arizona, uh, was covering up actual reporting from all the investigations they did into the 2020 election. What do you mean? Like they were getting results back that proved something, or they were getting results back that yeah, didn't yeah. prove it, and they covered it up? They were getting results back that proved that there was no uh, no meddling in the election. They were like, they were like, oh, we're only going to give you a little bit of it because we're not finalized yet. Uh -huh. And yeah, it looks like there was a lot of corruption. And in fact, what the reports were saying was there was none or very little. It, you know, it sucks because all the people that were saying like that that didn't happen were saying it in such a shitty way that it yeah. was so unpalatable. Like you guys are fucking stupid. I mean, I guess I think we I think we navigated that pretty well. Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. Post dropped that today, though hilarious um well let's yeah. get into a little bit of our media diet you've been watching mark maron okay so i watched mark maron's new special on hbo uh, your phone's ringing dude is it is it mbd is it out obd it is. i put him on the phone <laughs> why does this guy always call during our shows yo hey i have a really really quick question for you okay you're on the show by the way 
Are you really? Yeah, are go ahead really? though. Ask me. I know you're on the show, but you know, I'm on the show. <laughs> yeah. We can yeah. always delete this if it's not. You Our know, buddy Drew. Dustin says hi. Hey. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> Odd, because I have to play. Not taking podcast. So what's the question though? Okay, so uh, this was a particularly bad case of somebody being cut in half. So I should definitely probably report that. Yeah. That's pretty big. That's pretty big. Yeah, probably report that. Yeah, for sure. All right, all right. Well, shoot, I I didn't realize you're doing a pod today. Yeah, no worries. We're just doing a quick one. I'll call you after, okay? All right, for sure. Talk all to right. you later. All right, later. God bless. Love you. Damn it. <laughs> Uh, okay, <laughs> okay so um, so you watch this new watching, special, Mark Maron's new special. Yeah, so Mark Maron's new special on HBO, it's pretty funny. It's pretty good. It's it's what you expect from Mark Maron. Close the gates. Um, he's, <laughs> he, I think it's like bleak and dark or something like that is the mm-hmm. title of it. I don't know if you know, but like his his girlfriend of many years died last year. Oh no, um, not of COVID. I, okay, yeah. yeah, not of COVID, but it was during COVID, you oh, know. Okay. And uh, he kind of, ta- I think this is his first special since it happened. He talks a lot about that. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's good. I recommend it. I also watched Jim Jeffries' new special on Netflix. It was fine. Nothing yeah. to write home about. Right. Okay. I watched Kunk. Kunk, is that how we're pronouncing it? Yeah, that's what the internet says. Yeah, it's a made-up <laughs> name. So, yeah, Philomena probably isn't a real name either, right? Probably not. Yeah, I that was really funny, isn't it? I, is it? How yeah. many episodes have you seen? I saw the whole. Th- I watched. I binged uh, it. Okay, okay. I've only made it through three of them. Uh, do they continue the pump up the jams reference in every episode? <sighs> not every Damn episode, it. but oh. more than you would expect. <laughs> and there are other songs they do the same thing with. But I swear she must mention pump up the jam like. I don't know seven times, and they play so much of it. Yeah, I'm but like, do they put how little. How are you gonna go? Yeah, but they play put they put little um, like behind the music facts up on the bottom of the screen. Yeah, yeah, that are yeah. all lies, and it's really funny. <laughs> so many times, and th- did you see the one where she does like the ad for whatever reason in the middle yeah, of it about yeah. like a resort? Yeah, 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 the yeah. resort in Tulum where she stayed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just so dumb. Yes. Yeah, but it's very funny. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I, I'm caught up in Last of Same. Us. Episode six just dropped on Same. Sunday. We watched it. Yeah, man, that argument that he has with the girl, uh, where he's like trying to tell her. To <laughs> so that's that's from the game, but it's 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 different than the game. But it's uh, that scene happens in the game. There's so many parts man. in the show where I'm like. Oh, I see how the they're referencing gameplay because you're like that would be a level. Yeah. It would be like you have to get through this and up to there. Like yeah. when they're going up the staircase in like episode two or whatever. I'm like, this is mm-hmm. got to be from the game. Like that's got to yeah. be its own yeah. challenge. Uh, I, it's just still so well done, and um, yeah, I loved every minute of it. The, I, it. the episode ends with sort of a cliffhanger, and I'm like, fuck. Yeah. But like, yeah. So well, yeah, we got I think three episodes left. Okay, they're, of this they're season, doing nine. So. Okay. Yeah, I think it's nine, and okay. then we have the episode or season two is coming as I'm well. Sure. They're already greenlit. Oh, good. Okay, cool. Um, so when I so we watched season three this last week uh, or episode three, or that was the one with um, Parks and Rec, uh, Nick Offerman and the oh yeah the, mm-hmm. the gay couple, right? Um, feel free to tell me I'm being childish, <laughs> but I think that there were a lot of signs early on that that was a gay love story. How did he meet him? Say it. He popped out of a hole. And he fell into his hole. Yeah. He oh, his... help. I'm stuck in your hole. <laughs> huh? 
Okay. I hadn't. I hadn't. We should have seen that. This had not occurred to us, dude. Uh, Hey, do you think that girl is special needs? (laughs) Well, no, but just okay. okay. So understand that the the first episode, and then where she comes in is like twenty years later. Yeah, yeah. So she's grown up knowing nothing but the world as it is. Oh no, I'm talking about the way she looks. I'm making fun. Oh. Yeah. Okay. No, I don't think so. Actually. Well, she looks a little bit apple. Yeah, I mean, it's not like I said retarded. I mean, you know, <laughs> returned, returned, returned. Sorry, Croton yeah. got me all worked up saying that. <laughs> it's just like Marjorie Taylor Greene's in the way. It's all I can think of now. Like when when you showed that that video of Trump, uh, or you were talking about Trump in Palestine, and I was like, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I was thinking of the video he put out yesterday or today where he's just like, "We're at the brink of World War Three. It's like, dude, shut the fuck up. Stop getting. He's like getting in the way. Like it's the same yeah. thing there. It's just like, like dude, just self-aggrandizement. Just. Um, like, like what, in what way do you think doing that is not turning up the temperature? And like, I would like to live on the world where we don't die from nuclear weapons. And I'm pissed as hell about all the ways that we're inching closer and closer to that already. And I don't need some guy that's pissed off that he's not in power anymore being like, here's what's wrong. It's the World War Three, and it's all Biden's fault. It's like, dude, you're making everything fucking worse. Like objectively, you, can, you don't even have to like... I feel like people that like him should feel that way to that. It'd be like, hey, shut the fuck up. You're like making this really bad yeah. talking like that. Yeah. He's just adding fuel to the fire that's already there. Yeah. That's just Yeah, which which threatens to take us off the planet, which yeah. sucks. So yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you a question? Please. Whenever you poop, do you almost always pee, right? <laughs> Is this how all poo-poo times yeah, are pee yeah, times? Yeah, the Queen of England times are poop. Yeah, 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 that, 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 right? How come, yes, yes. How come dogs don't do that? Oh, that's interesting. Right? Why do we do that? That's weird. I don't right? know. Okay. All right, well, think that about is... it. If it comes to you over the weekend, let me know, okay? Okay. All right, God bless. When a guy's banging you. Y'all let me in this damn house. Oh, how about that? Come in the name of peace. L-M-F-A-O. Is Kevin McCarthy a moron? And if so, why? Why would you say something that stupid? I come without explanations or solutions. I'm a very sexy lady. Cat turd. I will not suffer this harlot. (laughs) How great an anti-American Marxist. Ted Cruz, go fuck yourself. Read the news. China is asshole. God bless the United States. <laughs> now this is podcasting.